So thank you, Dr. Pano. And I've got to look at my notes. It's Carcanus, because I was having a really hard time remembering his last name. So thank you very much for that warm introduction. So yes, as, um, as uh, Dr. Carcanus said, my name is Betty Lynn Benson. And I haven't lived in this area for quite two years. It's been more like about a year and a half. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit about myself so that we can feel a little bit more intimate, like we know each other just a little bit better. Because like I said, I'm a really small town girl, and I'm really nervous. So I'm just going to try to pretend that I'm having coffee and lunch with my really good friends, and I'm very passionate about what I do. So I want to just pretend that we're having coffee and lunch, and I'm just telling a couple of my really good friends about what I do for a living and, and uh, that I hope that I'm making a difference in a few people's lives. <clears throat> so um, I, my husband and I moved here about a year and a half ago, and we don't live right in the city. We live um, kind of in between uh, Lethbridge and Fort McLeod, down by the river at Moon River Estates, and we just love it. We think it's fantastic. We're empty nesters now, and so we're loving that. That's fantastic, too. And we moved from a farming, ranching community called Acadia Valley, Alberta, which is a little itty-bitty town about 100 miles north of Medicine Hat. We were workaholics, and we kind of wanted to slow down. And after working for Community Conflict Resolution Services, I'm not really sure if I've slowed down or not, but I am really passionate about what I do. We farmed and ranched there, and my husband worked off the farm for a local concrete plant in Oyen, Alberta, for 23 years. I was the postmaster in Alsask, Saskatchewan, which was about a 20-minute drive from where we lived. And I worked for the Oyen RCMP detachment for 10 years with victim services. And I also worked for Saskatchewan Justice for four years doing their Restorative Justice Alternative Measures program which is an awesome, awesome program. So I didn't want to let go of that because it works so fantastically. And I thought, you know, if that program is going on in a community of Kindersley, Saskatchewan, which is a town of about 500, or sorry, 5,000 people, that has to be going on in a place like Lethbridge. So I really, really sought out um, community conflict resolution services. Now, at that time, about when I found them, they weren't called that. They were going through a name change, and some of you might remember them as something called CMSSA, which stood for, and this is a long one, Community Mediation Society of Southern Alberta. But they found that they were kind of a little bit of a well-kept secret. They didn't want to be a well-kept secret because we are very accessible to the public, our services are free of charge, and they were founded on being a mediation society. And we still do that today. But that isn't really what my crux of my whole entire topic is going to be about today. But we still do do that. And that was where we met with parent teens, uh, marital problems, squabbling neighbors, you name it. We did that then, and we still do that now. But my passion is about restorative justice, and that's where we've branched off into now where we're embracing that, and we have developed a referral process, and that referral process comes from Lethbridge Regional Police, through RCMP, and when I say the RCMP, I mean Lethbridge, Lethbridge's RCMP, Picture Butte, Cardston, all around the whole surrounding area, our community corrections and probation branch, and of course our Crown Prosecutor's Office. So when those files come to our office, there's quite a process that we take. And I'll try to nutshell this to you as quickly as I can because it's, it's quite a broad topic. And it's an exciting topic for me because I think that, I, that we're making a difference. 
Now, restorative justice actually is kind of two-based. There's something called victim-based restorative justice, and there's something called offender-based restorative justice. And let me explain the two. Victim-based restorative justice is where our offender doesn't really have anything to gain. That's where they have been charged, um, and they have been found guilty, and they're incarcerated. But they have a burning need to meet their victim or their victim's families, and they really need to tell them that they're sorry. They aren't going to get out of jail early. They're not going to get an early parole date or anything like that. They just really need to get this off their chest. So that is the victim-based restorative justice. Then there's the offender-based restorative justice, which is what we do. And that's where there's an alternative to our traditional criminal justice system, which I think is kind of a revolving door. And that's where I think our offenders become better criminals, more well-oiled machines, and they think, hmm, I got caught that time, and I think I'll do it better next time. Sometimes they become better criminals. There has to be a better way. Now, don't ever get me wrong. I am not some bleeding heart. I think we have prisons for a reason, and I think some people need to be there. But this is for our, what I kind of call, misdemeanor crimes. That's the crimes that we deal with. These are the charges that would go through court on a summary charge. These are not the indictable crimes. And when I say the indictable crimes, I'm going to talk at a grassroots level here so we can all understand. Indictable crimes are the big bad ones. These are the murders, the rapes, the manslaughters. We do not deal with those, char those charges. We deal a lot with the theft under 5,000, the mischief charges, the vandalism charges, minor assaults, those sorts of things. So when the offender gets charged and uh, the, poli the police officer lays the charge, it goes to court, it goes to the Crown Prosecutor's Office. The Crown Prosecutor looks at this and he sees, he or she sees, wow, okay, hmm, this is a minor charge. Maybe this person needs another chance. Maybe they can learn something through this. I'm going to divert this to something called the Alternative Measures Program. The Alternative Measures Program is for adults, so they have to be 18 to come through our program. There is something very similar for youth, and that is called extrajudicial sanctions, and that is for 12 to 17-year-olds. That is handled by another agency. We do the Alternative Measures Program. So they have to meet some criteria before they can come through this. They have to automatically admit guilt. And I think that's fantastic. Because to go through our criminal justice system, you are lawyered up and ready to fight. I'm innocent. So right off the bat, to go through the restorative justice system, you're admitting guilt. And I think that's a heck of a start right there. And I think that's wonderful for our victims as well. Because they need to hear that. They need to have somebody look them in the eye and say, I did that, and I'm sorry. And I think that's a great step right off the bat. So when the file comes to us, we call the offender, or the offender calls us. And I think it's great when the offenders are calling me before I even get the file. I think, wow, this is a, this is a person that's going to succeed. Because they're wanting to take the onus upon themselves and make a difference. So when we meet with our offenders, we start to ask them quite a few questions. And we do that for several reasons, because we might be red flagging them, because there could be some real serious problems. They might have some addictions problems. 
could be some mental health problems, and we can funnel them into the necessary counseling agencies that they might need to get some, some proper help. But we ask them things like, what was going on the day that the offense was committed? What were you thinking about? What are you thinking about now? Do you have a message that you would like to convey to your victim, if any, if you were to meet with them face to face? And then we call the victim and we listen to the victim and we listen to how this has impacted their life and we explain the process to them. And this is a voluntary process. They have to be willing to come to the table. Some victims choose not to. If they choose not to, we still go ahead with the process and we still then almost take the role on like a probationary officer with the offender. We still want them to succeed at this process and we still want them to have to be accountable for what they've done. I have to go through my notes here because I tend to ramble, so I want to make sure I don't miss any points. So anyways... Um, then we start the process. They're allowed 90 days to complete that process. So some of the things that they might have to do, if the victim chooses to come and meet with them face-to-face, -face, is often it's a verbal apology. Sometimes the victim has such a burning need to know, why me? Did you choose me? Did you stalk me? Did you have something against me? Or was I just a random choice? Was I just in the wrong place at the wrong time? Were you just angry? Sometimes they just want that question answered. And sometimes they just want the person to say they're sorry. Sometimes they just want restitution. I just want you to fix what you took from me. You wrecked my fence. I just want you to replace it. You smashed the windshield out of my car. I want you to fix that. They want that restitution done. I want you to pay the deductible on that for me. Sometimes that's all it takes. In shoplifting charges, especially when it's in a big corporation, a lot of the times they get caught right in the act, and so the store owner will take away from them at the time what they never made it out of the store with. So there's really no restitution to be made. So we don't do fines. We do donations to charity, and we keep those charities very local. And that's another wonderful part of my job is going around and doing the schmoozing. I love schmoozing because, and I don't even want to call it schmoozing. I call it relationship building. And that's such a fun part for me because, again, I came from a small town where we had, you know, just a couple of agencies that we got to choose from um, to relationship build. And here it's just, wow, there's a whole bunch. And I can't even, I haven't even made it to all of them yet. But I'm going to name some of the ones that we have made it to. And these places are fantastic because they're opening their doors to our offenders and they trust us and they're allowing these offenders to come in and do community service here in your city. They're allowing these offenders to give back to this community. And I'm going to actually give you some statistical data of what this is giving back to the city of Lethbridge. And I think it's amazing because we've really only taken on this role since about mid-June. And, and when Carol and I were going over that this morning, it was just phenomenal. So we were both really, really excited. Um, here I am rambling and I'm losing my spot again here. So again, it is a voluntary process. Um, even at the time when the uh, court counselor explains the process to the offender, they have to agree to it. 
If they choose not to agree, they can say, absolutely not. I'm innocent, darn it, and I am going to go before the judge and I'm going to plead my case. And they have the right to do that. But if they're found guilty, they could end up with a criminal record. So, yes, the big push behind this is for the offender to complete the program because if they do complete the program, they will not have a criminal record and the case will be closed. So that is the wonderful part of it for the offender. For the victim, they get a say, they get a voice, they get to face that person and hear from them directly. They get replaced what was taken away from them and the offender is giving back to the community. And we have seen just in the few short three and a half, almost four months that we've been doing this, we have actually seen some real success stories. We had one offender that we were placing in community service um, hours right here in Lethbridge, and he actually had to bring us a letter stating to us that he had to find another agency to finish his community service hours because they found him so awesome they wanted to hire him full time. And it is a conflict of interest to have someone on the payroll that is doing community service at the same time. So we had to put him in a different spot to finish his community service hours. That's amazing. I've never had that happen the whole four years I was ever doing that in Saskatchewan. So that is, that is really amazing. We have an open-door policy. So we want and we do stay in constant contact with our offenders to see how they're doing, if they have any concerns. Are they falling behind? Do you have any addictions problems? How are you doing? Do you just need to talk? Sometimes these people for the very first time in their lives, are having somebody care about them. And when we sit and we listen to the dynamics that are gleaned behind what has gone on in their lives, they're not that bad of people. They have just made really bad choices. And some of them have led really crappy lives. Can I say crappy, panel? Am I allowed to say that? Okay. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble for that. And, and again, I don't want to take away anything from the victims, but sometimes when they're sitting together and they're listening, these are powerful mediations because when they will sometimes come in extremely angry. And when they sit there and they listen to what was going on with the offender and what was going on with their life, their childhood, the week before the offense, the day of the offense, they don't necessarily agree with what was happening but they understand. They come away less angry, starting to forgive just a little bit. And then I see the offender start to listen to the victim and hear how this has impacted their life. And suddenly that windshield or that fence wasn't an inanimate object anymore. It's actually attached to a living human being that has suddenly a voice, somebody who's worked hard for that. And I start to see that remorse. And these are powerful experiences. And believe me, it's not just the victims and offenders that are often reaching for the tissue. Sometimes it's me. And I've been doing this for a while. That's what makes my job so interesting. It is never a dull day, ever. It is amazing. So the best part of my job is seeing the success rates building the strong relationships with our other stakeholders, our police officers, our frontline workers, our police officers, 
and, and our firefighters. We have provided um, our brochures to our, at City Hall because often when people are going in and complaining about their neighbor, they can diffuse the situation by handing a brochure and saying maybe these people can help. So can our firefighters. So can our police officers. Um, and also when we're getting the referral process coming our way, again, sometimes these people just needed somebody to actually care about them for the first time in their life. And we hope we will never see them in our office again because, believe it or not, sometimes they really do get it and, then, and they really do change. And we really do see that happen. I'm going to give you some, uh, a list of some of the different places that we're putting these people and our donations. And I might add, when we give these donations out, it's always hand done. I have mailed one letter of apology. Everything else is handed out literally by hand, and I'm such a believer in this face-to-face -face contact. Um, these places are the John Howard Society, the Lethbridge Shelter, Lethbridge Humane Society, Lethbridge Animal Shelter, Interfaith Food Bank, the Salvation Army, Lethbridge uh, Soup Kitchen, Streets Alive, YWCA, Harbor House, Red Cross Society, Victim Services, the MS Society, and the RCMP DARE program. These are just to name a few. And again, like I said, there's probably a whole bunch more out there that I have never even made it to, but I certainly do hope to. Here's a little bit of statistical data for you. Just again, bear in mind, these may not seem like huge numbers to you guys, but we've been doing this. We're just up and flying and really getting going with this program. Um, so this has been for about three and a half months now. We have 28 case files that we have handled during this time frame. Seven of those have been successful. Seven of those have been unsuccessful. And we have 14 of them that are currently in the process of, of they're going through the alternative measures program. Of the seven that were unsuccessful, six of those we were just simply unable to make contact with. So that means either their phone had been disconnected, maybe they had moved, and one of those was incarcerated on a different uh, matter. Of the seven that were successful, we have collected and given back to the community $1,343.90 in restitution, $1,190 in donations to the wonderful charities that I just mentioned. Uh, one essay was written. Four verbal apologies were made and seven written apologies were done, plus 60 hours of community service was done. And that's just out of seven people. Those are, to me, those are amazing statistics. Just out of seven offenders, that much was given back to Lethbridge. I'm also going to break down the types of crimes we dealt with. Out of the 28, there were 22 fraud charges, 10 thefts under $5,000, 7 mischief charges, 2 possessions of stolen property, 3 assaults, 2 assaulting a police officer, 2 home invasions, and 1 possession of a narcotic. There were 20 males, 8 female offenders. And the age ranges were from 18 to 55 years of age. So 18 was our youngest, 55 was old, oldest. Am I getting, am I going too late? I'm okay. You just tell me. Say, hey, be quiet. You're getting too run on because I do that, Tano. Okay. <laughs> I was excited about the um, uh, victim services program and my husband, I, I tease my husband. He's not here to defend himself so we can poke some fun at him. But he liked the uh, uh, RCMP thing that he was in because he got to ride in the front of the car. 
I just say that because, you know, he's not here. So, no, I'm just joking. He's never been in the back of the car. I'm just kidding. So it, it really warms my heart um, about these agencies because when I go out there, I see these people working really, really hard, and they care about the cause that they're doing. Um, I care very much about the, the volunteers that we work with. To my knowledge, and Carol, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I, I probably am wrong. I think we have 43 volunteers. Is that correct? Okay, about, about there. Okay, and these people have pretty much all trained themselves out of their own pockets through AAMS, which is Alberta Arbitration and Mediation Society, or through Mount Royal College. Well, I guess it's Mount Royal University now, isn't it, Pano? And... Um, these are expensive courses, and they've trained themselves, and they volunteer their time, and these are fabulous, highly skilled mediators that volunteer their time because they believe in what they do. My hat goes off to them. They do an awesome job. So you can probably tell I love my job. Never a dull day, but what is more important is the people that I work with because if it wasn't for them, this wouldn't happen. And it wouldn't happen without these other agencies in the city. So if any of you are thinking that we're in com you know, conflict with each other or in competition with each other, no. We're all working for the same cause. So that's what's amazing. So I can only try and explain to you a little bit about how powerful of a process it is. But I guess you can only ever know unless you're there. And I really hope you're never there because I hope you're not going to be bad and go out there and commit a crime. And I'm sure you're not because when I look over this crowd, I'm pretty sure you're a pretty good bunch of people. And I hope you're never going to be a victim of a crime because that's definitely somewhere you don't want to be. So I had a very wise dad who's been gone, sadly, for about the last five years. And he always told me this. He said, there is never so much good in somebody, but there isn't a little bit of bad and there's never so much bad in somebody that there isn't a little bit of good. And I have had that tried and tested over and over and over in the years. Very, very true words. So restorative justice. To restore, to restore harmony, to repair, to care, to heal. It is so much better than punishment. In order for that healing to happen, it has to start with me. To make a difference, it has to start with one person. And I am so proud to be associated with Community Conflict Resolution Services. And I only hope I can do them justice. It has been my honor to be your speaker today. Thank you very much for inviting me. I welcome you to mull over and digest this topic of restorative justice. And ask me not too tough a questions, please. And thank you very much. Thank you.